Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere. We find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on Facebook and Instagram, or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who had never wrestled Charlie Strong, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I mean, we've basically been been saying this for years that even when Charlie Strong wasn't the best at certain things as a head coach, we always said our coach could beat your coach up um, when, when Chuck was here. And I think uh, he proved that he's both the the ferocious main character and also an amazing setup, man, the way he was uh, Uncle Uncle Ricoing uh, balls to Chris Jericho to then, to then have them throw uh, two feet away. If you don't know what we're talking about, of course, just like we all bet back in – uh, what, 20, 2015, 2016, uh, Charlie Strong would feature on a professional wrestling broadcast before Breck and Hager. Uh, Chuck and some guy, I don't remember, uh, Urban Meyer, maybe uh, also Texas head football coach if message boards were to believe for about a month, uh, both featured when wrestling went to its Mecca, its birthplace, its spiritual center, Jacksonville, and uh, <laughs> went to the Jacksonville Jaguars training facility where Charlie Strong lobbed footballs and Urban Meyer handed a laptop over, which I don't remember if there's a joke there, um, but which were both used as, as weapons. Because again, the rule goes that in Jacksonville, Florida, anything, food, uh, sports equipment, uh, electronics, anything can at any time be turned into a weapon. Has there been a less effective set of wrestling weapons <laughs> used than a pair of footballs and a laptop? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, is it like Dusty Rhodes, like, exploding guitars? Like, I don't know what is a less effective foreign object to introduce to a wrestling match <laughs> than a pair of footballs and a laptop. Like, that just seems useless. Oh, you you don't remember Sting uh, uh, taking his boot off and, and whipping people with his socks? No, I don't know. I truly don't know what what could be uh, what could be more more useless uh, or, or just purely esoteric. But but everyone just the way they sold it and they bought in like the football. First of all, Charlie spiraled the football from three feet away because. Come on, he's just such a coach and a dad. Committed. Um, but then Chris Jericho threw a football, and the guy acted like he was throwing a grenade that exploded upon <laughs> impact. I mean, way to sell it, kid. I uh, I also, by the way, Chris Jericho's 50. He was a he was just the same age, basically, as the football coaches who aren't young dudes. Um, that's crazy. I did not realize I had to look that up. That Chris Jericho is 50, if you want to feel old. If there's if there's a man that's going to take anything seriously, <laughs> even if it's ridiculous, it's Charlie Strong. But we're not here to talk about wrestling. That's our other podcast. Keep it tight and tights. We're here to talk about Texas sports. And most importantly, another national championship, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Right off the top, we have to mention the ladies. Number one Texas rowing finished the dang deal beating Stanford off of a 
kind of a barn burner on the varsity eight, the last race of the day, beat them by a second and a half to actually tie them in points. But the tiebreaker is the varsity eight race. And so here's the very complicated thing to say for you. Texas going into the weekend was tied with Stanford for the most national championships for an academic year. And so by beating Stanford in the varsity eight race to beat Stanford in the rowing national championship, Texas now leads Stanford for most national championships in an academic year. All three of which have come since March 24th. So in the last like 90 days, Texas has taken the lead for national championship team, national championships in an academic year stick that algorithm in your ti 356 stanford nerds yeah that's right we numbers you because we're a pretty good school as well um <laughs> you know it, we're not sensitive about it or anything we're actually one of the best uh public universities in the nation stanford just you know they're good at everything including academics uh we always say never uh, get mad if a recruit chooses stanford over ut it's one of like three places you can't get mad about but this time we stuck it to the cardinal slash dancing tree and Gerald, do you ever just stop and take an account of national championships? Because there's a whole heck of a lot of them. 58. 58 times Texas has been crowned national champion. 54, I guess, in the NCAA. Uh, a couple were before women's sports were allowed to compete in NCAA for national championships. But greater than 50 and counting. You could put all the other schools in the state of Texas combine their national championships. Uh, Baylor, A&M, UTEP, Texas Tech, Rice, whoever, and they don't come close. In fact, I don't even know if they get to half of UT's national championship count. So uh, obviously we run the state. We just run it top to bottom and, and especially anything on water. Texas rowing has been on a upward swing ever since uh, Dave O'Neill was hired in 2015. So uh, 2015, they finished seventh at the end of the year. 2016 took a slight regression back one spot to number eight, eight. And then over the last four slash five seasons, because uh, last year didn't quite happen. It was canceled because of COVID, but 2017, they finished fourth, 2018, third, 2019, second. Last year probably would have won a national championship, but it didn't happen. So they did it again in 2020. So over the last four national championships, they have ascended, which means that in 2022, they'll win whatever the equivalent of a professional rowing championship <laughs> is, because that's the only way to go up from there. But Kyle, the excellence that is Texas athletics, and I put this out there on Twitter, but I feel like all of the other like spring sports took it personally that people were like, Texas athletics is terrible. Basketball and football are a joke. And so like you you determine the entire quality of the athletic department by two programs and the rest of them were like, nah, playa, we're also here and we're also really, really good at what we do. I'm going to talk a little bit about just how good this 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 school year has been across all the sports for sure. Um, I banged the drum quick preview there for you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, three national championships is a big deal. You know, uh, is it a Baker's Dozen 13 conference championships is, is a huge deal. Like, this is just a really, really good athletic program. Credit goes to, obviously, Chris Conte and obviously the other Chris, the, the less – uh, drum banged for Chris Plonsky, uh, who who uh, was here before and and uh, kind of bridged the gap from the Delos era into now the the thriving CDC era. Um, but Gerald, I, I mean, I, 
to, to, to not take this just macro to the school context, this is a huge achievement. Dave O'Neill is an incredible hire. That team is not going anywhere. A good rowing coach, uh, maybe the best or one of the two, three best in the country is going to keep this program elite. We talk about how good coaches in some of those uh, non-revenue sports really, really will um, – make the difference. And it seems like he, uh, without a doubt has, I mean, you just, I, I, I just hope that, uh, the, the back to back championship shirts next year will use my, uh, my new rowing tagline, which is Texas rowing. Regatta, believe it. I got nothing to follow that up <laughs> with other than Chris Plonsky is incredible at her job and she's been at Texas for like three decades. She's really, really good at it. Um, she's also one of the scariest individuals I've ever <laughs> had the distinction of meeting. She came on air when I was doing a, a women's basketball broadcast and corrected me on something. Uh, like it was a commercial break. She's like, hey, you said that wrong. And I have like, I respect that because she just, she does her job, but she's really, really good at it. It's proven that she hired the best rowing coach in the country. Intimidating, not scared, Jerry. In, in, intimidating. Let me. She's just good at what she does. She does. She does it. She's good at what she does. And I was like a nineteen-year-old student, like, sure, reporter. So it is what it is. I was also just terrified and healthy dose of imposter syndrome. But somebody <laughs> that does belong where they are. Baseball. After a, we'll just say it, moderately disappointing outing at the Big Twelve tournament, uh, ended up with a number two overall national seed in the NCAA tournament, basically guaranteeing that. If they make it to the advanced rounds of the tournament, they won't have to leave Austin until it's time to go to Omaha. So they'll host a regional. They'll likely host a super regional. But, it, you know, they've got to get some consistent play after what they showed in the Big 12 tournament, right? Ty Madden um, struggled on the opening game against West Virginia. Again, the bats also failed him significantly, only putting one across the plate. Tristan Stevens had a great outing uh, to eliminate OU. Always feels good to end the Sooner season, period, exclamation point, go home. Zach Zubia also did some door slamming of his own with uh, three for five, and I think a pair of RBI in that game. Pete Hansen on uh, on the Wednesday, or the the West Virginia game, sending them home as well, had a great outing. Six innings, six hits, two earned runs, struck out nine. The man whose name we've been mispronouncing for the entire basically lifetime of our podcast, Silas Ardwan, uh, two out, two run double in the six to give Texas the lead there, and then lost to OSU five to four. Uh, after some weird early struggles from Colby Kublicek, settled in and really pitched a Bitched a, a solid rest of the game, really, until uh, the flood, until he got pulled in the fifth. So, Kyle, as we look at just reflexively or looking back at the Big 12 tournament, what do you want to see or what should Texas fix heading into this weekend? I gave a little bit of a, a hint of how much Augie Garrido and, and to some extent myself prioritized and valued the conference tournament when you're already the champion, right? I mean, you look at 2005, uh, when they won it all, they went two and two in that tournament. The last time they went to the college world series, they went Oh, and two, um, in as the champion, as a conference champion, they went Oh, and two, um, in the, in the conference tournament. It is not, the sky is not falling. However, um, you do want to see your bats uh, working a little better than what we saw. I, I actually think Madden pitched pretty well. Um, I think West Virginia's, uh, pitchers, their best outings actually in fact OU as well their pitcher one of his best outings of the year I mean it just felt like they they were teams who were up who were trying to get a bid into um 
you know, the postseason by winning the thing. And it seemed like there may have been just a, a different level of execution from the, the starting pitcher. So kudos to them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought Tristan Stevens was, was, was very good. I thought P- pistol Pete, I really like what I saw from Pete Hansen. Uh, I think Ty Madden was a little bit more promising after a, a not great showing the time before, um, Kubitschek is, is going to be a guy he'll, he'll feature interestingly in the regionals because I think he does good against lesser teams. I want to see if he can have a place in the, in the Omaha run, right? If he can, if he can level it out, it's been a up and down year, uh, especially of late for him. Um, Aaron Nixon, I, that, I mean, I've seen nothing but, but success from him all year and I'm not going to, you know, hold anything against him from that Oklahoma state game, but otherwise pitching, I feel pretty good about, um, you know, let's, let's take it up a notch now that it really, really matters, but hitting, um, I, I, I do hope that being at home where Texas was great, this year, I do hope that um, the bats can can fire a little bit more, sleeping in your own bed, not having to be, you know, in Oklahoma City, which no one wants to be there. Um, beautiful stadium, but uh, you know, it, it, it being being home, hopefully that will that will uh, keep the guys well rested and and the bats the bats swinging hard because I think we're going to need uh, a few runs, especially when you look at some of the opponents. Um, potentially down the road uh if everything plays out to texas favor they have some good ones uh in the regional super regional kind of path to omaha yeah and and i think locking down for lack of a better term home field advantage throughout basically the entire run up to omaha is important texas is 27 and 5 at home they're 15 and 10 away from Austin. So like they play significantly better in front of a home crowd and Texas is going to pack that thing out this weekend. And so uh, we we've said it before. There have been some spots where the bats um, let Texas down. I think early in the season, obviously the, the first three games at that college baseball showdown where people were ready to get rid of the coach after three games, (laughs) like the message boards were aflame of what is this guy doing? And then Texas rattled off one of the best seasons in recent memory. And so, like, again, patience is a, is a virtue. And I do think there's there's something to be said about, you know, the way Texas finished the regular season versus the the tournament, right? To, out, the Tech series, I think you can put that on a shelf, and that was just weird. The rain delays, the unplanned doubleheaders, all of that weirdness that happened. Like, that one stands outside of everything. But, like... Texas finished the regular season really, really strong. They finished it off run-ruling West Virginia, um, a walk-off run rule. We mentioned it uh, last week. But, like, there is – the I think the pitching staff is there. I think the pitching staff probably – you can let guys go deeper into a game if 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 you don't think you have the number – a top three seed locked up, right? You let guys throw a little bit more, throw a little I, – I, there's something to be said about – for lack of a better term, load management in the Big 12 tournament to make sure that Texas is equipped for this run. They 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 got what they needed to get done in the regular season. David Pierce said it, that they earned this number two spot in the regular season, and now they get to go out and prove that they're worth it. Yeah, and, 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 and again, the only people who it seemed like this result in this tournament mattered to were opposing fans in the comment section and tweet mentions, right? Like, it, it, this should not matter to anyone you saw that conference championships don't matter look at the seating right it, it, you you know obviously if you, if you just go out as a lower um ranked team and dominate then you can move up but you're a top eight seed like texas was and and had locked in and and obviously they're the number two um you know it it, it 
it does not define the season just because it was immediately before. I, I'm still riding a wave of optimism from, again, the season that earned the number two overall seed. So that number two overall seed earns them their 60th tournament appearance, 36th, a record 36 as a host. Uh, so in their regional, uh, they get Southern, Fairfield, and Arizona State. Um, Fairfield is the one that a lot of people feel like are overlooking, but uh, Fairfield might be a tough out in that regional. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So so Fairfield plays in the, the, the not the, even the MAC, but the NAAC, uh, the MAC um, uh, conference. They're not playing world beaters, um, but they beat anyone who was put in front of them. 37 and three is hard to do um, in baseball. Just, uh, you know, when you're the little league that all the three best players in the league are, you know, the coach's sons. Um, my dad was notorious for, for, you know, his coaches always had the, the most talented kids, but um, it's hard to go 37 and three. That's tough to do in baseball. So Fairfield is not an easy out. And in fact, a lot of people are looking at, Texas's kind of path and, and between Fairfield as the the number three seed um, in this in this um, bracket they're by far the, the, the toughest they probably should have been seeded um, the toughest number three uh, in the country Arizona State not the toughest two I'll be the first to admit that but not a bad team they're young so they can be hot and cold their pitching staff uh, they had a couple guys down with Tommy John but you know again talent um but unproven they have a really good coach i think it was 2013 was national coach of the year at indiana so i mean they there's 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 some variables there that can that can raise an eyebrow but i don't think it should be bad southern um won the conference tournament to get in i mean i I would think i think they played texas southern like six times and split three and three with them across the season um so i mean it's going to be a relatively comparable team to texas southern who texas handled pretty easily again you don't want to overlook anyone um but it, it couldn't it 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 would be a shock if they don't get out, but then, um, you know, got to play the games. But then the thing that makes it look tough is a lot of the lower seeded teams, it feels like, um, got kind of more favorable super regionals. And that's where I think we, 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 we should focus uh, again, not to look ahead, but just to give you a view of the bracket and the path to Omaha, um, because, yeah, if Texas does um, take care of business, they will face the winner of the Florida Regional, which has some which has some some talented teams in it. Yeah, and unlike the NCAA basketball tournament, at least a Big Twelve team won't face another Big Twelve team until the potential Omaha run. Right? They had all the it feels like all the Big Twelve teams in the basketball tournament were on like one third of the bracket, and so uh, all four of the Big Twelve teams ended up on four different uh, paths to Omaha. So that's nice. But if Texas, again, if we're going to say if makes it out of this first round of the regional, they will be faced with either number fifteen Florida, Miami. South Florida or South Alabama and Florida and Miami are both uh, frequent or, or memorable foes in the NCAA tournament. So that super regional round, which would, you know, be in Austin, which is an advantage, has a very potentially very tough opponent on the schedule. Yeah, and let's not forget, Florida was the preseason number one team coming into this year. I, I think because Arkansas just jumped up, we saw them very early um, and kind of held on. You forget Florida was the team preseason that everyone was scared of. They, when they're on, can beat any team in the country. They, you could argue, you know, are a top three, top five most talented team MLB talent wise in the country. They are really, really good, really dangerous. They're, they're number 15. They didn't have the year that I think any 
Florida fan expected to have, but that does not mean that they can't, you know, put them gator jaws around your ankle and pull you underwater. They're a dangerous uh, team to come across. And it's just funny because, again, by getting the two, Texas got a much, let's compare TCU, who got the eighth overall seed, and they'll face Old Dominion, Oregon in, in theirs. They get Tennessee as the other team, which, again, Texas gets Mississippi if, if we're talking uh, the other highest-seeded team in their quadrant of the four quadrants. Um, so maybe you argue Tennessee is better than Mississippi State, but I don't know that I would argue that. I think Mississippi State's a pretty good team. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it, it is um, – it's interesting, right? I, I think TCU has a much easier route. I think all the SEC teams have an easier route um, just because they didn't want to, like you said, put SEC teams against each other. Um, and so, you know, Tennessee probably should have got Florida, but they didn't. Or, you know, Vanderbilt, but they didn't. You know, Vanderbilt got East Carolina. So it's just like it seemed like the lower-seeded teams around the bracket had a little easier time. Again, Fairfield, it was everyone's like when you do March Madness and you have your sleeper mid-major Fairfield is everyone's biggest question mark if they're as good as they could be man they're, they're the biggest headache and where do they sit of course in Texas's bracket so um, again not impossible but not easy either so a good test and hopefully it, it sharpens the iron well and I think we'd be lying if we didn't say that part of the Texas Florida matchup is for TV right if you see Texas Florida baseball on the schedule I like the baseball world is going to tune into that super regional. And yep. So part of that probably has to do with TV ratings. So we'll see Texas again. They'll kick off. We're like three days from it. So we're, we're recording on Tuesday. Normally do it on Monday because of the holiday. Uh, but so Texas will kick. Well, not kick off, but step up to the plate this weekend uh, <laughs> for the regional again. And we will hopefully get to see them and talk about a super regional next week. So a sad result on the Super Regional on the softball side. The Texas women, after struggling against Oklahoma State in the regular season, managed to push the Super Regional in Stillwater to the if necessary. So they uh, honestly got blown out on Friday, 6-1 to one outing. Molly Jacobson struggled. OSU hit four home runs off of Jacobson, who's one of the better pitchers on the staff. Uh, but Texas ace uh, Shailen O'Leary stepped up on Saturday and pitched a real great outing. I picked up her 16th win of the season, seven innings, three hits, two earned runs, struck out five for Texas to win that four and two matchup. Uh, Mary Iacopo's bat had a lot to say about that as well. And then Sunday was a pitcher's duel for most of it. O'Leary was back uh, in the circle, pitched six innings, gave up four hits and just two earned runs. But, um, OSU's ace, Carrie Eberly is just one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, pitched seven, a complete game, gave up just four hits, and Texas could not crack the uh, crack home plate. They left three on base and scoring position in that. So there were some opportunities, but Texas could not, could not push it over the finish line, but ended a really, really strong season for Mike White and company. That's right. And, and hey, look, I will admit it when it's true, softball – runs through the state of Oklahoma right now. OU obviously just destroying people's souls. I think they they had like five home runs in the first inning of their uh, UTEP game, their first game of the tournament, and won by like 24 runs. It was not nice. Um, but, you know, that that has continued. But right now, you could argue Oklahoma State might be the second-best team in the country. I mean, they 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 were as hot as anyone coming into the tournament, and they continued. Texas got one off of them and made it interesting in the, in the second – or excuse me, the third game. But uh, – yeah, I mean, credit to both programs in the state of Oklahoma representing the Big 12 well. And, again, probably two of the best 
if not the two best teams in the country right now. Um, so tough, tough um, buzzsaw for Texas to run into. But like you said, a very, very good season, 43 and 14. Um, and, and we didn't talk about it every week. We resisted the urge. But a reminder that the best player in the country, the best pitcher on the team, probably the best two-way player in a long time, Miranda Elish decided not long, very like weeks before the, the season that she was opting out for this year. And so it's tough for there, there's very few teams in the country who have a player of her caliber. There are very few teams in the country who could replace a player of her caliber. And the fact that they ended with a top 10 finish this year, um, again, when dealing with that right before the season, I think shows a lot of guts, shows a lot of you know, ace coaching from, from coach white, um, stepping up. I, I think you, you mentioned her in the beginning, but I mean, the fact that I got a grad transfer in Molly Jacobson and she just was immediately kind of forced in as the number two arm on the team was, was, you know, big shoes to fill. And again, for, for Shaylin O'Leary to step up and, and big shoes to fill for, you know, the reigning national player of the year from the COVID shortened season, 2020, um, again, Really great year, forty three and fourteen is is nothing to scoff at. Um, you put it in the notes, Gerald, and it's a really good point. Um, if they could have played more games in Austin, they may have won more games. You know, thirty and five at home, ten and seven on the road. Um, it was tough to beat them in Austin, and it seemed like only the best teams in the country were the ones who did. Um, so tough, uh, tough end of the season. But again, got to hold your head up. Really good, really good year. There will be some players leaving from this team, but a really good recruiting class again and coming in to fill it out. And a really good recruiting class. You saw freshmen contributing all over the place on this team um, and in the run in some big moments. So exciting future, I think, uh, for this team as well. They're losing some talent, but they're bringing some in as well. Mike White has his team moving in the right direction, and I think they will um, they'll continue to progress. It and it's Oklahoma is running through the world like, Arnold in the first Terminator in Oklahoma State is not too, too far behind them. So I think the national championship will, will likely preside in the state of Oklahoma. But Texas finishes off a season who, uh, again, nothing to be ashamed of, 43-14 and 14 on the season. That's a heck of a run from the ladies, and we can't wait to see them back in action next year. So now's the part of the show where we do some whip around coverage of all the other uh, lots of goings on over the weekend, and we down the 40 so the big two biggest news is is number four men's golf actually for the shockingly missed the first cut at the ncaa tournament by four spots the top 15 go they finished 19 after and i'll just go ahead and say this and put a really fine point on it playing the worst tournament rounds of the year now there were some extenuating circumstances uh, Pearson Cootie and Cole Hammer have basically played four tournaments in four weeks. And so they were struggling a bit. And Cootie was actually so sick after one round that he dropped out. And so disappointing end to a really, really strong season from Texas. But um, when you look at, if you just look at the numbers without the rest of the st- of variables, uh, it's a little shocking. Yeah, absolutely. Tough time to play your worst tournament. You're right. Um, you you like to see a team like the women's golf play their best right at the end and rise to the occasion. You right, and and uh, this felt like with the number four they had next to them, and and uh, Pearson Cootie is the top ranked amateur in the world, and Cole Hammer rising back up those ranks, getting his form right. I think he was at like number six in the world. Um, so two top ten amateurs. You thought okay, they can carry this team, um, but they played a lot of golf, including you know playing the the Byron like we talked about. Um, both 
playing with the Walker Cup team. I mean, just playing a lot of golf and and whether that took a toll or again sickness or just bad luck, you know, whatever it was, it, it just clearly wasn't their weekend. Um, and again, to to have a a top four, top five you know, ranking in the beginning or heading into the postseason um, is nothing to scoff at, but you know, it hurts when you think, ah, you know, could have, could have been, could have put yourself in the, uh, the stroke play match play, you know, the chance to, uh, you know, get crazy. Anything can happen, but uh, you know, it, it will be looked at as, as uh, what could have been, because again, you're going to see those two guys, Cootie and hammer whenever they do decide to, to go pro um, you know, playing weekends at, at, at big tournaments and, and, and like Scotty Scheffler's doing um, throwing their hat in the ring and, 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 you know, just getting funky one weekend and, 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 and winning some, some big tournaments. So uh, hopefully those guys can come back next year, do one more year, get a national championship and ride out on uh blaze of glory next year, 2022 golf national championship for coach field. You heard it here first. Come back fellas. You know you want to. So number four men's and number seven women's track sent 15 to the NCAA championships after the prelims in College Station. Imagine going to College Station and coming out with a positive result. And so uh, you've got the women's 200 meters sent three people uh, to the NCAAs. Um, Rasadat Adelike, uh, Kivana Davis, and Kennedy Flanell. The women's 400, Kennedy Simon uh, and Stacey Ann Williams in the 100-meter hurdles. Um, Asia Lorenzen. Uh, the women's 4 by one team, uh, you've got Brissette, Davis, uh, Adelke, and Flanell, the four by four, Douglas, Simon, Jaworski, and Williams. Those names you've already heard before. Uh, obviously, Tara Davis made it in the long jump. Sophia Falco made it in the triple jump. Uh, Elena Bruckner has been on a tear this year, and she made it in the shot put. And then uh, Christine Blazaveka made it as the heptathlon, which is uh, tough to get out. Uh, it, it is. Um, so one note there, uh, Tara Davis made it in the long jump, basically just went out there, you know, not 100%. She had a hamstring uh, injury that she brought into this. Um, did a jump, wasn't her first or maybe her second jump was enough to qualify for nationals. Didn't jump anymore and pulled out of the the hurdles or else she probably would have uh, qualified there as well. So we're hoping she gets 100% fully for the the uh, proper NCAA because obviously we want her in the long jump setting breaking world records and uh, and bringing home another uh, Tara Davis National Championship. But just I don't know if that was widely reported, but she uh, commented on her own social media that, that that was basically the case. Rest up, bring home a natty. On the men's side, on the 200 meters, Micaiah Harris. On the 400, Bayesian stand-up Jonathan Jones. The 800, Yusuf Bizamina and uh, Creighton Carroza. 400-meter uh, hurdles, Charles Brockman, the third made it uh the men's four by one team qualified garland mccarter hublin and harris four by four uh norch day right Ma- uh, mass and jones qualified the long jump had two uh stephan mccarter and o'brien wassum uh triple jump o'brien wassum again uh trip perry our friend of the show and then decathlon uh leo nugenbauer who's probably one of the favorites to come on with the national championship in the decathlon dude is absolutely uh just ridiculous He's nails, man. The 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 nuge. Um, I though am am excited. Trip Perry just keeps getting stronger and stronger as he works back to his Literally. former, yeah, <laughs> right. As his his former uh, mutant self who could just throw objects um, twice as far as as other humans. So um, I am I am excited for him. Uh, I'm excited for all of these gentlemen and ladies. This is uh, a really deep 
uh, squad to be sending to the Nationals. Really, really impressive outing. Uh, it will be in Eugene, Oregon. It's a little cooler weather than they've been running down here in Texas, but uh, the mecca of college track thanks to Nike June 9th. So uh, a week from, a little over a week from when you're listening to this. Uh, so it'll be it'll be good. Get your Get your track, um, get your track spikes on. Run around the house, warm up, and then sit down and watch UT win some national championships. Enjoy Nike Town, guys. Kylie Collins and Lewis Sun finished second in the women's tennis doubles championship in dramatic fashion. So uh, another strong outing from the freshman. Texas will just continue to get better on the women's tennis front. Um, twenty twenty one. This is uh, shifting gears a little bit. Looking at scheduling. We got the schedule announcement for the 2021 Big 12 Big East matchup that'll happen next basketball season. Texas takes on Seton Hall. Guys, Marquette was right there. Marquette (laughs) was right there, but Texas will take on Seton Hall. Uh, Marquette's actually going to take on Kansas State, who Shaka has just absolutely beaten over the last four matchups or three and one against Bruce Weber. I have to imagine the biggest Longhorn alumni bases exist in Austin, Houston, Dallas, of course, San Antonio. Um, and then I, I would imagine that New York must be the next one. Um, I don't know, DC, Chicago, whatever. Um, but I figure New York is, is, is right there. Um, and so it makes sense, right? You get all of those, uh, those New York horns, uh, the chance to, to see the, the the team from just across the river in or, in South Orange, I believe, New Jersey, um, from Seton Hall, um, a storied program of like my youth. I feel like you don't hear about Seton Hall that much, but I remember like the '90s and 2000s. You know, that was like a one of those just basketball teams. St. John, Seton Hall, the the New York area basketball team. So it's a good one. But yeah, I agree. Shaka versus U2 is too good to pass up, but they did. Texas absolutely had to say no to that. Like that's <laughs> like. There, that is a lose-lose for Texas. <laughs> Absolutely a lose-lose situation. So I understand why Texas put a problem with the kibosh on that. Men's basketball also signed uh, shooting guard Gavin Perryman as a preferred walk-on. Rumor has it he'll probably be able to earn a scholarship by the end of the year, but at this point he is on that PWO status. 19.6 points per game at Dallas Jesuit, including 46 from deep. Yeah, he, he's a kid who steps on campus um, day one immediately, probably the best shooter on the team. That's no shade at uh, Jones or Febris or, or anyone else, but just a natural shooter, and it's in his genes. It doesn't come from anywhere strange. Fans uh, of a slightly older generation listen to this podcast, and I'm not calling you old, uh, may remember the name Brandy Perriman. He was uh, a four-year uh, contributor uh, from 94 to 98, uh, played uh, – dad played – 122 consecutive games, which was the UT record at the point when he left in 98, still holds career records for free throw uh, percentage for a career, shot 90%, uh, and consecutive free throws made 35. Um, and as of today, I don't remember what he was when he left, but he's been passed a couple times. He still stands fifth all time in three point shots made. And again, this is pre 2000. Basically, all these kids have been shooting. 50,000 three-pointers by the time they get to UT uh, compared to um, Mr. Perriman, who was kind of a kind of an innovator. He was probably UT's, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if he's our first real sniper, but the first one that I think of um, in the mid-90s. So um, good legacy. Obviously has the results himself. Good pickup. On the football side of things, uh, Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian officially got his Burrells Award for the best assistant coach, which... We knew that going in that Texas got him a good one, but again, glad to have the trophy in his office. Some kickoff times have been set. So last week, 
Uh, ESPN locked down OU and Arkansas. They got the first pick for that. And so Fox grabbed that Louisiana game week one. 3.30, afternoon game, terrifying. There's actually some weird stats out there that uh, Texas got stronger win percentage-wise as the day got later. Their win percentage was the worst at 11 a.m. and the highest at was the 6.30 kickoff. So uh, take that or leave it, which also guarantees that they will beat Rice at 7 p.m. on Longhorn <laughs> Network two weeks later. And then Texas gets Kansas State at 11 a.m., their worst spot. On Fox, uh, some positive news out of the transfer portal. Uh, linebacker Adele Adeoway put his name in the portal. Uh, he was a starter in 2019, didn't see much action in 2020, uh, decided to test the waters and whether the coaching staff found a spot for him. He feels like he can fit in or maybe there just wasn't a market. But either way, Adele has removed his name from the transfer portal and will be back on campus. Be curious to see where Dele ends up. Um, linebacking depth is a good thing, right? We we will uh, will need a lot there. We keep adding names, but but it's not a position we uh, you know can afford to lose a bunch of people from. So um, I, I like having him there. I think one of the things is is he needs to just get a step quicker if he's going to be playing a Big Twelve linebacker position where he's he's you know covering. C.D. Lamb on crossing routes, if you remember a few years ago, that was not fun for him or any of us. Um, I feel bad, but a kid who has a lot of heart, uh, you know, a good it's motor. for C.D. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, it'll be curious if they put him in more of an edge rushing position or, or how they use him best, but um, I, I really happy to have him back. I, I think Dele, a guy who just works hard in the offseason, in the weight room, um, he's officially back with the team, so I, I, I like um I like that. Let's have a big year. Make this a make this a great success story of the portal that wasn't. Glad to have him back. He's that he's a weird. He's in that tweener spot where he's not quite fast enough to play linebacker in the Big Twelve, but he's also not quite big enough to play uh, a defensive line spot. So like figuring out a spot for him is going to be interesting. But he's a character guy. He's a motor guy, and I hope Texas manages it. Recruits from across multiple sports have arrived as summer school and summer workouts start here in just a couple of days. Recruits are on campus. You see them all over social media. They're doing a really good job with social media. And speaking of social media, that recruiting dead period ended on the first at midnight. So a lot happening on campus. We'll try to get Mike Roach here on in a couple weeks to talk about everything going on. Yeah, a lot of stars walked onto the 40 acres. Uh, five stars from women's basketball, from the, the, the soccer team, Tavian Sanders from the football team, uh, Mr. Tyson from the basketball team, some some big-time recruits, and also all the transfers. We, we saw uh, Gerald is, is gets all credit that he is due for this as he branded uh, Coach Beard the portal pirate. We saw all of that plunder from the Porter portal pirate. I don't want to call them booty. I called them them plunder because um, that's just nice. Um, <laughs> they all showed up as well. So a lot of talent uh, just infused into Austin uh, this weekend. Let's move it on now, Gerald, to segment we uh, call the burnt orange lens. We take a look at the world through our rosy burnt orange colored glasses. Um, playoffs are continuing um, the one that we are most keenly watching, I would say, is the the Longhorn-centric Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant, Royal Ivy, and Co. Uh, taking on, as we would all describe them, Tristan Thompson's Boston Celtics. They are up 
3-1, I think, uh, tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday. They play what could be the decisive game for Brooklyn. We'll see. Uh, Milwaukee and uh, P.J. Tucker, clean sweep to get to the second round. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think basically the 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 horns who we are most excited about now probably will end up playing each other in the bucks and the the nets are uh supremacy in the east is at stake and uh, again getting a, a longhorn another nba championship also at stake there is a longhorn who won a professional basketball championship this very weekend gerald your boy my boy everybody's boy the 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 defensive point guard the the, assist maestro the turkish terror the bombs away from balbe he really has gotten better at shooting the ball uh our boy doge the the bulldozer i don't know if anyone ever called him that doge's balbe wins a euro league championship as team captain he was a leader on the court even at the 40 acres of the Anandalu FS Sports Club, as we all um, had our Google alerts set to, uh, also named, of course, the Defensive Player of the Year. Joe, what'd you think about that one? Doge's been doing the darn thing since his time in Austin, especially on the defensive side. It's just he was a guy who was super underrated. Um, like t- I don't think. Texas fans really appreciated what he brought to those teams, and obviously the jokes are easy to make because he was a terrible shooter at Texas. Yeah, I mean, it, not to hark on him, but if you recall back to that time, like the the right around the turn of the decade 2009-2010 team, I think Jay Billis said he was the best perimeter defender in college basketball um, that year. So, I mean, it, 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 he wasn't drafted. He didn't play. Uh, but I also remember Fran Fracilla said he was his favorite player in all of the 2011 year. Euro camp and he's obviously carved out a really good um, career a, a Turkish league champion two times Turkish cup winner three time Turkish presidential cup winner there's a lot of Turkish cups um, the Turkish presidential cup MVP in 2018 and now a Euro league champion which again is the second highest league after the NBA finals championship in the NBA uh, that a player can can kind of win so um Super, super happy for Doge. He he deserved it. And I'm glad to was glad to see that one come across the screen. Um, another thing that went coming across her screen, Gerald, flying, in fact, across the screen, across a wide open field. There is a young man out in the state of California throwing footballs a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous distance. If you saw what Chris Jericho footballs can do to a person from two yards away, just imagine that our own boy, our beautiful Malik. <clears throat> won the quarterback long throw competition at the Steve Clarkson QB retreat by throwing a football 79 yards. I mean, he took a crow's hop, but 79 yards without like, I'm going to say a, a 20 foot uh, downhill. <laughs> I, I just don't know. That's in the air, folks. That's not bouncing and rolling golf shot style. That's 79 yards air distance. That is just it was nuts. The video was absolutely insane. Um, the kid's going to be all right. Just one yard shy of one Vincent Testaverde, Heisman Trophy winning, Vinny Testaverde's NFL quarterback challenge record from the 80s, right? 
Vinny Testaverde, who threw for like 7,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in two seasons with the Miami Hurricane under Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Testaver- Vinny Testaverde. He may not have been great in the pros, but when you look at a college quarterback, Vinny had a little bit of a career. Yeah. I mean, again, no NFL quarterbacks really ever thrown a football that's been recorded longer than the throw that Vinny had when he won it in 1988 uh, by throwing it 80 yards. So again, uh, one yard further. So relatively good company there for the, for the young 17-year-old quarterback prodigy out of California. So Malik, he got a cannon, a, a howitzer attached. Uh, now he just needs a receiver who's, who can catch that ball. All right, Gerald, let's move on now to the Godzillatron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? It was a rainy long weekend, so we actually got quite a bit of watching done. I hadn't this this shockingly, I somehow missed Get On Up from Chadwick Boseman six or seven years ago. Uh, the the kind of James Brown biopic, and um, it was good. I mean, Chadwick Boseman is incredible. It was a really good watch. They simultaneously didn't shy away from some of the bad things about James Brown, but also softened some of the bad things about James Brown. Like he, they didn't shy away from his domestic abuse issues and his drug abuse issues, but they also like softened his criminal background from early. Like he, he got arrested as a uh, young man. And in the movie was like, I just stole the suit. I was trying to better myself. I was like, you actually robbed like seven houses and that's the, the suit was just what you got caught with. So like there's a whole, but the, the, the movie's great. It's, it's done in like a non-linear narrative, which is really, really cool. So uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, when my son was awake, we watched, there's a new family movie out called uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines. It's kind of a, a apocalyptic robots take over the world. And this family of kind of misfits has to learn how to work together. And it's, it's just really, it's a really fun animated movie. Um, and then I started a Swedish TV show in my personal time. Cause I needed some decompressed time called Ragnarok. And it's basically, it's all about um, the, the Nor- Norse mythology. And, and it's kind of, if, if, Norse mythology and like the first season of Heroes had a baby. That's kind of what Ragnarok is. Now it is subtitled. So if you're scared of those two inch, um, the two inch barrier, then I, I understand. <laughs> but if you don't mind some subtitles, it's actually a pretty solid watch. I, I love that. That is, you know, this is what you tune in for, folks. You get um, deep cuts on James Brown biopics, you get um, recommendations on um, Nordic uh, television. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some family entertainment. I'm going to take it, uh, the other way. I continued to watch, um, uh, search party on HBO. I think I finished the first season, uh, on my wife's recommendation. It is good. I laughed a, a good amount. It's, it's an intriguing premise again, still, still in the recommending it mode. But then I, I had, uh, my wife had a, a friend she hasn't seen in two years coming to town for COVID. We did brunch, but then. Uh, they, they went out and, and enjoyed just hanging out, catching up. And so I said, I'm going to catch up and was digging through Netflix, just looking for a good documentary wreck and, uh, stumbled across a documentary called Cuba and the cameraman. Now I have to admit that I have this fascination with Cuba. Um, I have been to Miami and Cuban food has, has, has just, just absolutely knocked me to my knees. Um, I, I love the culture. I think it's interesting. Um, I, I, I have been wanting to visit as soon as it was, um, opened, a few years ago, uh, embargoes lifted. I've been wanting to visit Cuba kind of before it, it became uh, commercialized in certain ways. Um, and this was a really interesting documentary. A guy um, who 
John Alpert, who if you've heard him, he's a very famous documentarian, documentarian, um, got basically like full access way back when he decided, uh, when he heard about the kind of revolution that was going on in Cuba with Fidel Castro and a socialist revolution going on down there, just heard something crazy and said, I'm going to go down from New York. And just by doing it and being there ended up being at the right place at the right time and has these really like candid interviews um with with castro from that time he's the only american allowed on his flight the first time he comes to u.s to go to the united nations he has these interviews with him in his personal quarters just really intimate but it isn't a a, a documentary about castro it's a documentary about the cuban people and it's really interesting because it's over three decades and he checks in with these these families and some of them are just like rural peasant farmers and just basically watches them as Cuba changed how their lives changed and just checks in with them. But it's just really wholesome and genuine about it and doesn't try to like make a point, just kind of tells their story and lets them tell it. Um, and it's really interesting. I think it's just um, really interesting stories, the, the kind of fascinating journey of time and place and political event kind of intersecting. It's just one of my favorite documentaries I've seen in a very long time. And maybe because I went in with no expectation, I hadn't really heard a ton about it. It just popped up and I thought it sounded good. Um, and I was just kind of blown away by it. Albert's an interesting character, you know, his kind of New York boorishness, um, and the way he does interviews compared to kind of the Cuban nature is interesting and it just seems to work and they love him. And, um, it's interesting. I, I, I couldn't recommend it more highly. I think, um, everyone would get something from it. And, uh, again, just a, a really interesting little documentary that's very well done. I love a good documentary. I love a good historical, like political documentary. So I'm uh, excited to hear that. So, that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? As I have said many times on the podcast, I'm a big fan of Top 10 Texas Triple T, uh, a, a Longhorn Republic copyrighted, uh, <laughs> not at all, um, piece where we take a look at Texas just absolutely dominating in, 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 in all sports and finishing in, in the top 10. Um, the Director's Cup standings are coming out later this week on Thursday, I believe, the first time they've been updated kind of post-COVID. Um, so it's going to be very interesting because if you're not familiar with the Learfield Director's Cup, it's been named a couple things over the years. But basically, it looks at like the athletic program as a whole. It, it weights, obviously, national championships, conference championships, but success across all sports, not just football and baseball and basketball, which again, Texas is probably the only team in the country, I think, who's going to finish the year uh, ranked in all three of those. But again, we're talking about the, the whole enchilada uh, of teams. And and I think Texas is going to fare really, really well because with softball ending their season, Texas actually now stands at 10-time top 10 Texas. That's right, folks. You heard it. The 5T. The 5T, uh, which sounds like a new uh, mobile wireless gimmick. 5T. We are here. Three national champions included in that top 10 finishing rowing, women's tennis, men's swimming, and diving. One national runner-up with volleyball. Two third-place medalists, men's tennis, and women's swimming and diving. Two fifth-place finishes with women's golf and women's basketball. Um, one uh, eighth-place overall women's track, though they had individual national champions. We're just looking at the team aspect in the indoor. Um, and uh, one ninth-place finish with softball. And I'll just pause there and say, by the way, seven UT women's sports, you heard it right, had elite eight runs. That is just 
insane. And by the way, there's still three going, three who have really good chances at top 10 finishes, number two baseball, number five men's, and number five women's track, all still competing. So that number could be as high as 13, which is still a T. Um, men's golf did not finish in there in my list, even though they finished fifth in the last poll, um, which, again, we talked about it, tough tournament run, but fifth place at the end of the regular season ain't nothing to scoff at. Men's basketball, again, huge upset in the tournament, but they were number nine in the final poll. So if I wanted to stretch these rules, I could add two more right there. Let's talk about the football program. They underachieved this year. We know that it was a shortened year. We think they probably would have got nine wins. You know, they could have played Kansas uh, if they would have played all their, their games, nine, maybe ten wins this year. So not a bad year by most programs in the country to finish in the top 20 is a big deal. Texas did that and fired their coach because they expect more. And now you see why. Look at the rest of the program. Soccer, after bringing in the number one player in the country in the spring went undefeated in that spring signed the number two overall class in the country so basically the teams that didn't have a top 10 finish this year they're pretty primed to be sniffing it pretty close next year i'm not going to say we're going to every single one of these teams is going to be back there but we know that women's tennis is all freshmen we know both the swimming and diving teams just are pipelines. They replace talent. They're machines. Volleyball's bringing everybody back. Women's basketball, again, lost Charlie Collier, but just huge influx of talent coming. Women's golf overachieved. They're young. Uh, you know, softball, we, we, we think that there's a really bright future coming in with one of the better pitchers in the country uh, who, who, you know, Barbara's Hill just tearing up the playoffs. Actually, tonight as we're recording this, they are really, really good. Some called her one of the most promising pitchers in Scott Osterman, but I'm just going to say there are there are talented pipelines where top 10 Texas can be a thing and Texas can be good across the board and as soon as football and basketball make this kind of the regularity there is no one who can ever say anything about Texas at that point it's like scoffing at someone for being oh you were national runner-up oh you lost in the national championship game you know it's only taking shots at us for not winning national titles in every sport which again if that's our standard they hate us because they ain't us you know it it is it is very easy to look at this and feel like the joneses because guys gals we are texas never stopped being the joneses even when texas was seven and six they got better kickoff spots than the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm banging the drum this week on a couple of things. One, Roy Miller, I just realized that this one of my favorite underrated Texas football players of the last 20 years um, was on the, the 2008 Texas team that should have gone to a national championship over the Oklahoma Sooners. Has 45-35 tattooed on his bicep, and that to me is the greatest thing in the entire world, so I just love to see that he put that out there on Twitter. But I'm actually banging the drum this week on kind of the the saga that went on with uh, Naomi Osaka and, and the French Open and all the things go, that are happening and the conversation happening around that. So what I want to say is going to be controversial. As someone who sits behind a microphone once a week and puts out some articles every couple of times a week, the self-importance of people thinking that journalists actually matter to a sporting event is ridiculous. It is absolutely 100% ridiculous. And... The fact that people who have never been on that stage have never had somebody after a tournament win say, well, this one didn't turn out the way we wanted it, which was said to Naomi Osaka after she beat Serena a few years back. I haven't saying things like that she's making this up in that her mental health, if she if she really wanted to take care of her mental health, well, she she should stay home. And you know what? 
she did. These are the types of things that I that I think need to happen and be in the sports discourse because we treat athletes as entertainment and they're people. Athletes are people just like you are. And you know what? Just like you should use your sick days when you're having a tough mental health one, she did the same thing. And she's well within her rights to do that. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge came out today and talked about his mental health struggles as he deals with retirement after not playing basketball for basically the first time in the last 20 years of his life as a 30-something-year-old man who's been playing basketball since he could basically walk and talk. So like 30 years of his life, really, probably. But like... We, Katie Nolan, I love, I love the Katie Nolan sports podcast. If you haven't listened to it, it's incredible, but they're talking about it today where we, we treat athletes like we want them to perform, say the right thing behind the microphone and then stop existing. <laughs> and that's unfair to athletes because they're people. If you had your worst day at work and then somebody put a camera in your face and said, how'd you screw that up, Steve? How would that feel? It would absolutely suck. And so let's stop asking athletes to not be people and let's start letting athletes be people because they're people. And that's, that's all I've got to say. You said it right, Gerald. Um, we've, we've never shied from this podcast of <clears throat> believing athletes should do what's right for them at all times. College athletes going pro athletes who are pro taking care of themselves. Um, we are people first over box score at all times. And I hope all of our listeners um, agree with that. Um, I hope all of our listeners um, also prioritize that and just allow this to be another reminder. I think August is National Wellness Month, but I think June is National Employee Wellness Month because my, my job sent something out and I like that and it's good. And I'll, I'll, I'll jump a couple months ahead and just say, folks, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about mental health and, and taking one of those wellness days that Gerald talked about or um, you know, maybe this podcast is your respite from a busy day, whatever it is, take a couple moments for yourself. And the same way we ask that you be the good fans and implore other people to do that for professional athletes, do it for yourself too. take a little time, think some positive thoughts, think about what you did well, as opposed to what you didn't. And, uh, just know it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to ask for help and just be well. Talk to you. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook up. It's still time for more natties. <laughs>